good evening, everybody. Uh, we're giving a little retry here. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, as we're doing the Bible study on the true nature of God. It's uh, second and third try here. We're trying that. We had a little hiccup with the, with the live stream this evening, but hopefully uh, this one works. So anyway, we're doing the, uh, the Bible study on the true nature of God by Andrew Womack. We'll be wrapping up chapter three tonight on uh, the, the God's purpose for the law. We'll be in the last section heading at the end of the chapter, which I believe is entitled, The Law is Like a Red Flag, and we'll explain that a little bit more in a few moments. We'll probably be wrapping up chapter 3 tonight and then going into chapter 4, which talks about God's gift of eternal life, and we'll connect all the dots of how this uh, connects with uh, uh, the true nature of God. Anyway, um, uh, again, my name's Dave Everett, this is my wife Sherry, uh, so uh, we're just trying to get settled in here with the little hiccups, but now that kind of throws my mind in a loop. But anyway, uh, here we are, and uh, Sherry will narrate for us, I'll explain it, but just so you know, we do have all these archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Uh, we have them all grouped there. You can a couple different places you can find them. They're also archived on our uh, YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center, and they're all uh, archived there as well. So we have a couple different platforms where you can view us, but also uh, 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 view the archived messages uh, from the past. So anyway, uh, without further ado, I think we're just going to go ahead and just jump into the Bible study tonight on the True Nature of God by Andrew Womack. And uh, uh, Sherry's going to read for us, and then we're going to talk about it. The law is like a red flag. Imagine an old bull lying in a field thinking, I've been treating everybody mean. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't charge everybody who comes through this field. So I'm going to change. I'm not going to be mean anymore. I'm going to be loving toward everybody. So the bull just lays there in the pasture, chewing his cud and thinking he's changed. But just because he thinks he's changed doesn't mean he has. Walk by that bull, walk by and that bull just looks at you. He doesn't charge or anything, but pull a red flag out and begin to wave it in front of his face. Suddenly that old bull nature rises up on the inside of him and here he comes charging. Did the red flag make the bull mean? No, all it did was draw out what was in him. If people are deceived, it can be beneficial to draw out the negative stuff on the inside of them. If they think they are all right living sinful lives, pull out the law and wave it in front of them. I recall an instance when I knew something was wrong between us and some people we were with. Jamie and I had prayed and finally the last day we were with them, we just agreed together that the problem would come to the surface so we could deal with it. Do you know what happened? A woman exploded at me and started saying I was the devil. She totally flipped out of her mind. Satan tried to kill her that day and it was a terrible scene. But it was good that the negative stuff came out because we were able to deal with it. It was good because they had been under deception. These friends of ours didn't understand what had been going on spiritually, but when they saw how vile that woman became toward me, they recognized something was wrong with her and not me. We countered it with ministry and we saw all those people set free. We are tremendous friends today. The law was used by God in the Old Testament to show us our problem, sin, and to reveal the hopelessness of our situation. 
This is explained to us in the New Testament, and we see how God still will use the law today if he must. It was a terrible burden to live under the Old Testament law, but it was the best God could offer in those days. Some people may say, now wait a minute. You think God wasn't able to introduce the new covenant back then? That's exactly what I'm saying. The Bible says that Jesus was born in the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4. Jesus was born at just as soon as it was possible for him to come as the savior of the human race. Many prophecies had to be fulfilled and certain things had to take place. So God had to deal with mankind and sin in a temporary way by the law. Unfortunately, that temporary way has been interrupted by many people as the true representation of the way God is. They think the law is the way God really wants to deal with mankind, but that is not true. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, and long after man was expelled from the Garden of Eden, God showed his mercy toward mankind and sought for them to come to repentance only by his goodness, always pointing to the Savior who would come. All right, thank you, Sherry. So uh, we just finished chapter 3, but let's uh, talk about this last section before we uh, progress to chapter 4. And I know we're bringing, we're picking up this, this evening towards the end of the chapter, so that means we're picking up uh, towards the end of the thought. Chapter 2 and 3 kind of go together. Uh, you know, why are we talking about the law? Well, I thought we were talking about the true nature of God. Because a lot of people's perception of God is an Old Testament mentality. They see the wrath of God in the Old Testament. They see God judging nations and, uh, and Sodom and Gomorrah and whatnot. But what they don't see many times is that between Adam sinning and the law, there was, a, there was many years. And then there was many years between the law and Christ. And, uh, you know, uh, the law was just a temporary until Christ came. But between, but between Adam and, and, and the law, God showed mercy. There, there's some scriptures that bring out, and it's always explained in the New Testament, different scriptures. I don't have time to read all those again tonight. But the law... Says when there's no law, there's no there's no transgression, <laughs> you know, and it, it wasn't imputed to them. And God showed mercy, but God gave the law. We we discussed this over the last few weeks, so you can listen to our videos. But the law was merciful in this in the sense the law itself is not merciful, but God used the law to preserve mankind because sin was getting so bad in the earth that if if God didn't give the law, there would not have been a, a, a virgin like Mary for the Savior to come through. There would not have been a, a virgin worthy enough, uh, in the, if I can use that word worthy, to, to, for, the, to, for the, the, the Savior to come. There were, you know, God gave authority to man. And God, there was a lot of prophecies that were spoken to bring forth the Savior. God was speaking to man to, to prophesy, and, 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 and so as man began to prophesy, there was different prophecies that had to come through for the G Jesus to come, to come through. And, and so, and it says in Galatians 4, 4, which uh, we quoted from that in the reading, that Jesus came in the fulfillment of time. 
It, it took all those years for man to prophesy and those prophecies to come through when Jesus is coming. And I mean, I know that's not that boggles our mind. We don't get that. And, and it sounds complicated. But that's just the way it is. And I, and I can explain this in a lot more detail. But, but that's, just, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And God's, but by God's purpose for the law you know, it, it, it's like a red flag. You just use an illustration of a bull, and hypothetically a bull decides not to be a bull anymore, uh, or not to be bully. But once you bring out that red flag, that old nature comes out. And, the, you know, there's several, several scriptures in the New, old, New Testament that talk about how, how the law is the strength of sin. And until we're born again, the law exposes how bad we are. It exposes our sinful, carnal, natural nature uh, that is alienated from the life of God. It brings that out. And, uh, and so it exposes it for what it is to show us that we need a Savior, that we can't save ourselves. Even as, so, you know, I, I've met a lot of good non-Christians where they're good in the sense that they're very moral, they're very nice people, they're very kind people. They're just actually some awesome people we're around, but the missing uh, the missing ingredient is there's, there's no Christ, and and they're looking at their goodness, they're looking at their behavior, and think they're they're good enough, and they in a sense they need the law to expose how unholy they really are, because none of us, even the best of us, without Christ, we're just like filthy rags, and uh, we need a savior. And God uses the, the law in mercy. The law is not merciful, but he uses it to expose the need that we need Jesus. And when we, it's like, it's like an alarm. It wakes us up. It exposes. It's like the little UV light that, that exposes the, the, the blood or the different things that the detectives might use uh, in the crime scene. It exposes it. It brings it to the light that, you know, we're guilty, <laughs> All the evidence comes out, but God, um, the law tells us it's a tutor that teaches that we need a Savior, and uh, and Jesus and Jesus is that Savior. So, what, what does this have to do with the true nature of God? Well, a lot of the wrath and stuff that we see in in, in the Old Testament is God's wrath on sin. Until there was a Savior. There was no mercy. There was no grace. God was always mad at sin. But finally Jesus came. And God poured out all of his wrath on Jesus. So he no longer had to pour out his wrath on man. But those who don't receive Jesus. There's a day coming when Jesus will come again. And there will be a great white throne. And there will be the judgment seat of Christ. And those who don't receive Jesus, who took all the wrath for them. God has taken the wrath for all mankind, but not all mankind has received Jesus. And those who have not received Jesus, when, they, when, they, when, when that great white throne comes, and that, that, that great judgment comes, they will see the wrath of God. God's never been light on sin. Jesus was brutally crucified and, and, and tortured at the cross. Why? Because he, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteous God. And what Andrew's bringing out here, that from Adam to the law, God showed mercy. To God showed his goodness. And then we even see pockets of it between the law and Christ. But God's nature is good. 
God's nature is merciful. And he, he, he magnified that through the cross. He magnified that through Jesus. But he had to use the law was just like a, a, a temporary atonement, a temporary covering until Jesus came through the Levitical law and the sacrifices. But also, you know, it was really just a bell payment. Kind of like, you know, someone gets is going to jail, sometimes they can post bail so they can kind of get out of jail and get their, 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 their things in order before they go to trial or whatnot. You know, and so the law was almost just like a, a bail payment. It didn't it didn't really do anything. Uh, G, only Jesus' blood could do anything. You know, a lamb, a lamb's blood can't really, can't cover my sin. But God used it in the law to, to as a temporary covering. It was just temporary. But Jesus came as the, the perfect lamb. And it, his covering is forever, it's perpetual. So anything you want to add? Okay, well, with that in mind, let's go ahead and go into chapter 4. We're talking about God's gift of eternal life. So now we're going to get into a, little, a lot more positive things uh, to talk about. In the fullness of time, Jesus did come. He became a man and lived a perfect sinless life. He allowed himself to be beaten, whipped, and crucified, ultimately becoming our sin and dying for us on the cross. But then he was resurrected from the grave, and the earth has not been the same since. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God had raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 9-10 Jesus inaugurated a new age. Now, men, women, and children could not only have peace with God, they could know God, and the transformation of the human heart became the greatest miracle. Okay, sorry, I didn't realize that was the end of the section. Let's go ahead and read some more. You are a new creature. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. When you were saved, you became a new creature. Your spirit on the inside was changed. That scripture is not talking about your physical body becoming new. If you were overweight before you were saved, you were still overweight after you were saved. Your body and all your physical features didn't change and become different. Your mind didn't change. Your spirit is the part of you that has changed. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 We are new spirits who are righteous and holy. There is no sin in our spirits. Jesus became sin for us, 
so that we might be made the righteousness of God. We did not get a little bit of the righteousness of God just to get us through this life. We have the total righteousness of God in our spirits. Our spirits are as complete and perfect within us right this moment as they will ever be throughout all eternity. We aren't going to get new spirits when we go to be with the Lord. We're going to get new glorified bodies and our souls will be totally changed so they will know all things. In this life, our bodies have a tendency towards sin and our minds will always need to be renewed. But our spirits within us right this moment contain the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so are we in this world. It is not so we are going to be, but so we are now. Obviously, this is not speaking of our bodies or our minds, but our spirits. Our spirits are as pure, holy, righteous, and clean as they will ever be. And this verse is saying our spirits are ounce for ounce and molecule for molecule, if there are such things in the spiritual realm, identical to the Lord Jesus Christ's spirit. Our spirits are totally his workmanship. They're clean and pure. And if we sin, our spirits are never contaminated because it's not our spirits that sin. Whosoever is born of God does, God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. 1 John 3, 9. I've always heard this verse was about habitual sin. People told me, brother, you can't habitually sin. You may sin sometimes, but you won't habitually sin or you aren't really born again. But that doesn't hold water. Because we discovered earlier then that what can be called sin is really very broad. Do you know what sin is? Overeating is sin. Do you know any believers who habitually overeat? You never accidentally ate anything in your life. Anybody who's overweight, habitually overweight, has sinned. But I'm not condemning anyone. I'm overweight sometimes too. But it doesn't matter if you're 10 pounds or 40 or 50 pounds overweight. A little bit of sin is still sin. God told me in his word that this body of mine is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm supposed to take care of it and glorify God in whatever I eat or drink or say. Everything I do is supposed to be to the glory of God. If we're overeating, we aren't glorifying God in what we're doing. We're indulging self and self is dominating. Self is still alive instead of being dead. The point I'm making is that all believers habitually sin in some way or another. So I don't believe 1 John 3, 9 is talking about habitual sin. When it said that whosoever is born of God cannot commit sin, it meant just exactly what it said, and that's addressing our spirit man. Okay, thank you, Sherry. So we're talking again about the true nature of God, and we just started chapter four where you talk about God's gift of eternal life. And a lot of what we're reading right now seems to go really well with our Wednesday night Bible study on the new you and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, and so uh, 
we're we're just starting this chapter, so Andrew hasn't got to his main point that he's bringing in connection with the true nature of God yet. But uh, let me just go back a little bit and highlight a couple of things. First of all, in the in the fulfillment of time, Jesus came. You know, uh, I talked about how Jesus inaugurated a new age. When Jesus came, it became a very it became a new age. It became a new covenant. You know, the covenant didn't start officially till the, the, the cross. Until there was a death, until there was the cross, there was no new covenant. But after Jesus died, he was buried, rose again, and then he ascended. And then the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. Jesus was inaugurated the church age. God was inaugurating a new age that, had began, that began with Christ and the Holy Spirit. It is now uh, continuing on until Jesus comes again. We're in a new age. And, uh, and why, why, why is that new age? Basically, that new age is because of the cross. The cross changed everything. Jesus took the full wrath of God towards sin. See, when God created Adam, there was no sin until Adam sinned. And, and then when Adam sinned, he changed everything until Christ came and dealt with sin. Now Christ has come and he's dealt with that sin. And we have become born again. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're a brand new creation. We're not, in a sense, we're not, Christ has redeemed us from the curse. We're as if Adam, in one sense of the word, we're as if Adam never sinned in the first place. We're as if Adam never committed a sin at all. That's what it's almost like. But it's better than that. We're not restored to where Adam was before the fall. We're in a brand new covenant altogether. Because we're born again not of Adam. We're born again of, of Christ. We're born again of his incorruptible seed. And so we're, we're born again. And then that's our true nature. So what is this going to have to do with the true nature of God? Well, so when we understand who God is, we understand who we are. And then vice versa, we can also kind of understand when we understand who we are, we can in a sense understand who we are in Christ, we can understand uh, who, who God is. But God changed everything, he, and he inaugurated us to a new age. But we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. And uh, he goes on to say, he uses some scripture here that I really like almost all of these passages of scripture. One I just quoted from, we are a new creation in Christ Jesus from 2 Corinthians 5.17. But also it says uh, in Ezekiel 36.26, a new heart also will I give you. <coughs> and a new spirit where will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart and out of the flesh, and I will give you the heart of the flesh. And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 4.24, and I used some of this this morning, but he will put on, uh, uh, we, uh, there's a truth, that's like, if you read the whole context, Ephesians 4.20-24, it says there's a truth that we are to so learn, and this truth that's in Christ is that we put off the old man in the spirit of our mind, we put on the new man who is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. We're putting on the new man. Not new man. We're putting on the, the nature of God. The new man who's created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, and then... Uh, and then my favorite verse, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Um, there's a point I wanted to make here. Um, you know, it, it goes on to say in, in, in uh, 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in this world. The more 
one of the one of the important things that we we can find in knowing the true nature of God is when we get to know who He is, He is, we'll get to know who we are because as He is, so are we in this world. He also says in First John chapter three verse two that we will be like Him when we see Him as He is. When we see God as He truly is, we'll become like Him because that's who we are. Now. Or we're, again, we're, this goes into another teaching on spirit, soul, and body, which we're kind of addressing on Wednesday nights, but we also have another study directly towards that. But we're spirit, soul, and body. And when we became a born again, our body didn't become born again. And our soul, our soul is our mind, will, and emotions didn't become a born again, but our spirit did. And that's the part of us, that's the part of us that was dead without Christ. And that's the part of us that became born again when we are when we uh, when we receive Christ. Okay. Um, I, again, we're just we're starting to build a case here to what we're really going to get into talking about the true nature of God with uh, God's gift of eternal life. Uh, and uh, anyway, there's some more things I wanted to say, but I feel like I'm going to get ahead. Uh, you have anything to comment on? Just to piggyback a little bit on what Andrew was saying about sin and a habitual sin when he was talking about first john 3 9 whoever is born of god doth not commit sin for his seed remaineth in him and he cannot sin because he is born of god and i do agree we do agree that he's talking about the spirit man the the born again your spirit cannot sin but the flesh and, and our minds is still, uh, we still live by the, the old man, our, our flesh coming in and rearing its ugly head. And, you know, Andrew ta- uh, addressed the habitual sin, but Paul in Romans 14, uh, at the end of the chapter, he says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Unbelief is sin. And we all struggle at times with unbelief. And Paul is not condemning us. God is not condemning us for unbelief. Why do you think Jesus with compassion uh, spoke to the man who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus healed his son. God's not getting on us. He's just saying, look, without me, you have a life of sin and destruction and it's horrible, but with me, I've given you my Savior, your, your Savior, Jesus Christ, my Son, to show you how much I love you and so much I want relationship with you. And to me, that's such a beautiful thing, and I don't want to get ahead like Dave said, but living in, in, in sin or or believing the wrath of God is, is out to get you is not a way to live when God made a way through Jesus Christ. Uh, it's so beautiful and I, I can so take the whole hour just talking about all of that and how wonderful it is and, and how much God loves you and, and he has a purpose and a plan for good for your life. It just, it just shows the overflowing uh, good nature of God toward us. Okay, sorry, I was looking ahead of some things, uh, trying to see where we're going. Uh, going to get to tonight. 
So the next section is, uh, uh, let's piggyback on what we're talking about by reading the next section. It's called, You Are God Breathing, Breathe Spirit. You Are God Breathe Spirit. Let's see what that's about. The Spirit is the only part of us that is born of God, and it cannot sin. It does not sin. It's the seed of God within us. We've never sinned with our spirit man. We're enticed in the realm of the flesh, and our emotions and our minds may get into sin because our will chooses it. But our spirits are not participating in sin. Our spirits are not being defiled every time we sin. They are not being corrupted. They do not have to be purged. The blood of Jesus does not have to be reapplied to our spirits. That is the concept Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 addresses. Jesus entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Eternal redemption was for the spirit of man. Our spirits are the only part of our redemption that is complete now. We have the promise of glorified bodies and our souls being changed, but at this moment, our spirits are the only part of us that is complete through redemption. But it is complete, and it is eternally complete. In this life, our spirits are not going to be defiled. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 10 through 12. That's powerful. If we'll just think about it, this will set us free. The offering of the Lord Jesus Christ sanctified us once for all. The writer was contrasting what Jesus did with what the Old Testament priests did. He was pointing out that Jesus does not have to be sacrificed over again. One of the reasons most of us don't really understand how completely we've been redeemed is because we still have this Old Testament mentality. In the Old Testament, redemption was not revealed completely. Every time someone sinned, a new sacrifice had to be made for that sin. Every year, there had to be a Day of Atonement when the entire sin nature was atoned for. Over and over, the sacrifices were made again and again, year after year. Under the Old Testament law, the priests ministered the same sacrifices many different times, but what applies to New Covenant believers is found in Hebrews 10.14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And according to Hebrews 10.10, if we are born again, we were sanctified through that offering. Sanctification does not mean reaching a place of sinless perfection by trying hard. Some teach that people can get to a place of perfection where they can't sin anymore in their natural bodies. But the part of us Jesus sanctified and perfected, according to Hebrews 10.10 and 14, is our human spirits. The spirit man is sanctified or set apart from sin. By one offering, Jesus, our spirits were sanctified and perfected forever. But ye are come to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, 
and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Hebrews 12, 22 and 23. If our spirits are perfected forever at all times and in all situations throughout eternity, God can look at us and love us even if we've sinned and fallen short in the natural. Why? The Bible says he looks on the heart. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4, 24. When I come before God and say, Abba, Father, God isn't looking at my sins and the ways I've fallen short. He isn't seeing those things and saying, how dare you come before me in your sin? That's because I didn't come before him in my sin. I came before him in my perfect sinless spirit and in truth. God looks at my spirit. No matter what my flesh has done, my spirit is pure, holy, complete, spotless, and undefiled. God can look at me and have fellowship with me just exactly the same as he would with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though my spirit is pure, my soul and body aren't pure yet. That is the only thing that hinders my fellowship with God. And if I'm wallowing in sin, I'm going to defile my conscience and have a hard time walking in spiritual truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. If I'm constantly living in sin in the natural realm, I'm not going to feel like my spirit is pure. God still looks at my spirit and is just as pure as it ever was, but I'm not going to be able to perceive its purity because I'm carnally minded. I won't be able to perceive and walk in the spirit realm experiencing who I am in Christ Jesus. I am locked into the physical realm if I live in sin. Soon I start believing, God, how could you love me the way I am? I believe because our spirits are perfect, they don't have to grow. But growth must take place in our souls. Spiritual truths are already reality and complete in our spirits. But our minds, emotions, and will need to learn and begin to practice them. The Bible calls us partaking of the divine nature or becoming like God, thinking, speaking, and acting the way he does whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 2 Peter 1.4 Simply put, as we renew our minds to God's word, spend time in his presence, and form intimate relationship with him, the purity and perfection in our spirits will begin to transform our souls. And when our souls begin to line up with our spirits, our flesh loses its power to get us to sin. Our flesh becomes subject to our souls, which have become subject to our spirits. Therefore, we overcome sin because we are acting like Jesus. This is a great picture of being new creatures in Christ. But what happens if we mess up one day? Instead of saying, I'm not worthy of you because I blew it, will say, God, through Jesus' blood, I run back into your arms and thank you for forgiving me and cleansing me from all unrighteousness. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, 
but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8, 15. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Galatians 4, 6. We will have the knowing in our sinless, perfect spirits that we are God's children and he will not turn us away. God loves you and me. His attitude towards us doesn't change because of sin. If it did, which sin would change his attitude? Some people say, well, brother, it's the big sins. But God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't class certain sins as big sins and others as small sins. To God, sin is sin. If sin is going to affect God's attitude toward us, all of us would be in trouble and none of us would be able to enter into that real place of fellowship with him. None of us would be able to walk and talk and fellowship with God. Anybody who preaches holiness as a basis of being with or receiving from God is putting sins in categories and saying, God will overlook certain sins and other sins he won't overlook. I maintain that, maintain that sin is sin to God. This brings up the question, if what you're seeing is true, and if we've received eternal redemption, are you seeing that once we're born again, it's impossible to be lost? The issue of, of the security of our salvation is important to our ongoing relationship with God. If you disagree with me on this topic, love me anyway, and please don't reject the other important truths I've shown you from God's word. Okay. We'll probably leave that the section that we just read uh, that we're, uh, we're referring to for next week. We'll get into that topic a little bit more next week. But let's just recap a little bit what we uh, read just now. Again, we're talking about the two nature of God. We're in chapter 4, we're talking about uh, God's gift of eternal life. And we just read about a minute ago that we have become a new creation in Christ when we receive Christ. We've read about how we are to put on the new man who is created going God in true righteousness. God changed everything to the cross. We're in the church age. We're born again. And how God relates to man in the new covenant is different how God remade the man in the old covenant. In the old covenant, the priest had to, every time someone sinned, someone had a, the priest had a, there was a sacrifice being made. It was constantly happening. And so it never really covered the sin. It covered that sin, but once you sinned again, you had to have another sacrifice. It was just constant, a constant madness in this one sense of the word. You know, they were having to have sacrifices all the time. But when Jesus came, he perfected us forever. And that's different. When, when something's been perfected forever, you don't have to keep fixing it. You know, we've had devices, we've had phones and computers. Back in the day, we had antennas. We had to keep fixing it, you know. You know, we, we actually just got a new car, a new car to us. You know, the other one was having problems. And it's nice having a car. It works. I mean, for one example, we had on our, our, uh, our Camry, we, uh, the, the, the doorknob to get in on the driver's side was broken. And the doorknob on the inside of the passenger side was broken. So the driver couldn't get in and the passenger couldn't get out uh, without some assistance. And so, it's nice having a car that actually works. Well, what else, fellas? We can go through the moonroof or sunroof. Uh, not that we would ever try that, but, uh, 
You know, it just, but it's nice to have a car that works. In the Old Testament, the, the really, the Old Testament sacrifices didn't work. Because it only covered the last sacrifice. And it wasn't even, even then it wasn't a perfect, perfect covering. You know, it's like uh, a toddler trying to do what the mom and dad are doing and they want to do it too. And it just doesn't look the same. But they, they gave it their best effort, you know, and you let them do it because they're trying and you love them and it's cute. And, but, uh, you know, um, but Christ came and he paid for it. He, he perfected us. And well, some of us don't see us that, ourselves that way because we still have an Old Testament mentality. And because we don't see ourselves as righteous, we don't see ourselves as sanctified, we don't see ourselves as holy, means that we haven't put off the old man and the spirit of our mind put on the new man who's created going to God in true righteousness and holiness. And because we haven't changed our mentality, we still see God with an Old Testament mentality that God's judging our sins. But that's not true. God already judged our sins in Christ 2,000 years ago. So how God treats man in the New Testament is different than in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, they were constantly sinning and, and therefore constantly uh, having to have sacrifices. And so it was, it was, it, they were always in sin in that nature. Uh, if you can understand what I'm trying to say. But the New Testament is different. We're not seeing the wrath of God like we saw in the Old Testament. Why? Because God poured out his wrath on Jesus instead. God's not going to pour out his wrath. You know, a lot of people think God's judging America. That's not, that's not true. That means you don't understand the nature of God. God's not judging uh, uh, America or any other nation for that matter. Uh, people have said, well, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. No. If God judges America, he'll have to apologize to Jesus. God poured out his wrath once and for all on Jesus, on Jesus Christ, who became sin. God's not pouring out his wrath. Again, those who don't receive Jesus, there is coming a great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ, well, they will receive uh, Full, full wrath of God. Those who didn't receive Jesus. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is our substitute. And the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. So now we can see the full, true nature of God. And we can we can have a relationship God, with God and his true nature. We don't have to be fearful every time we sin. Because God's already poured out his wrath on Jesus. And as we've been reading from 1 John 3, 9, the... Uh, Someone who's born again cannot sin. But yet, we struggle with that because we see ourselves sinning all the time. Because we don't understand, we don't have a revelation that in Christ we're a new creation. And we don't have a revelation that we're spirit, soul, and body. And the part of it that's born again is our spirit. We will get a new body one day. And all that will get, get fixed. But we, but we are born again. And the part of it that's born again is our spirit. And that part cannot sin. And that's, but some of us are still, we're, we're, we're born again, but we haven't transformed our mind, and so we're living naturally. And, and, and so in one sense, we, we're living a double standard life, in one sense, uh, if I can put it that way, because we, uh, part, part of us is born again, but we're not living like we're born again. We're living like we're not born again, but we are born again. We need to renew our mind to who we are. 
And because we haven't renewed our mind, we think God is still treating us like he did. He treated his people in the Old Testament. God's not treating his people like he did in the Old Testament. God's treating, we're in a new covenant relationship where God says he doesn't remember our sins anymore. And so, do you want anything? You want to comment on that? Just to add something um, in case any of you are struggling with with sin and thinking you can't be accepted by God. You know, Jesus in, in Luke 15 told this parable, and almost all of us know the parable um, of the prodigal son. But I believe we need to be reminded of it because you can see God's heart in this. You know, the, the, the son um, went out and, and he sinned. And when he, when he finally came to the end of himself, it says in verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. And I know there's... There's more, and I'm trying to keep it short for time's sake. But that's God's heart. When we come to him and we're falling apart because of how we see ourselves and, and the sin that we've stumbled into, God is just so happy that we've come back to him. And, you know, I always laugh. The son is so sincere, and he is wanting to... to fall at his father's feet and confess and the dad the father is so happy that he won't let his son continue he, he overlooks anything all the past turmoil all the past I'm sure arguments that they had before the son had left in the first place he doesn't judge his son or or shake him or say what has gotten into you that you went and did this he overlooks all of that. He is just so happy and so rejoicing that his son is back in relationship with him. And that's God with us. Yes, we need to know sin is bad. Yes, we need to come to the end of ourselves and realize, you know what? This is, is rotten and it's destroying my relationship with God and, and, and with others. And, and come back to, to that relationship with, with God. But God is, I mean, God is not throwing thunderbolts of lightning at us to say, oh my gosh, you messed up. He's saying, hey, I'm glad you're back because remember what I did with my son Jesus, how I sent him to the cross for you? Hey, I, I, I did this because I love you. I, I, Jesus made it so we can have a relationship with each other. I'm so happy you're back with me. Because remember, God doesn't turn away from us. In the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. God came looking for them. He came to have relationship with them. He came to walk in the garden with them. They're the ones that hid. And, and even the prodigal son, he's the one that left 
to go sin. He and he's the one that wanted to fall at his father's feet and confess. But the dad was the father is like, "Hey, you're back. Hallelujah." The dad never left. And it's the same with with God. He is waiting with open arms wanting to run to you if you would just let him in. Amen. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Uh, this next section it will be a more lengthy section, and I want to—I don't want to end on that note. I want to uh, put it all to next week. So, anyway, uh, we're going to end here. I'm going to press out, and I just pray that you guys all have a good week. Uh, this next week, let's continue to pray for our nation, and uh, we're just praying for the integrity of this vote to be totally reconciled and and whatnot. And so, we're praying for our leaders and praying for us. Supreme Court and all, all who will be involved in, in the integrity of this election and whatnot. And so I uh, pray you all have a blessed week. Uh, we will see you at, uh, on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock as we talk about the true nature of God and the thing. New you. Uh, and I'm sorry. Let <laughs> me uh, rephrase that. Uh, we'll see you Wednesday night at 7 o'clock when we talk about the new you and the Holy Spirit. And then again next Sunday at 11.15 a.m. and 7 p. Uh, 6 p.m. next Sunday. Uh, anyway, we'll cross that bridge a little bit later. Anyway, well, we worship you. We magnify you. We just speak your blessing over every person, every household, every individual, every marriage, every relationship that is represented uh, in this uh, uh, teaching today. And so, Lord, we, uh, we just magnify you, Lord. I pray that you would teach us all fresh who you really are. We would, Lord, as Abraham had a revelation of you, Isaac, Jacob, they all had an encounter with you, Moses, and so on. Lord, we would also have a relationship with you. As it was said, you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because they all had a relationship with you. We, too, would have a relationship with you in knowing you in your true nature. And Lord, we, we, we thank you for that. We worship you. We pray for our nation. We thank you for the Lord exposing the truth and exposing the lies uh, and all the deception that's in our in our country, in our world right now. And Lord, we, we thank you for bringing the truth to the light. And Lord, we thank you for wisdom. Uh, wisdom. And Lord, I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will expose the truth and uh, the lives that are going on in our in our nation uh, today. And we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. Bless us as we go. Bless this week in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you guys, and we'll see you on Wednesday at 6 p.m.